Hey there, this is Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and today I'm excited to talk to you about a new top 10 style list, although there are probably way more than 10 games on this list, and that is games that can turn strangers into friends. And I, I, this has been on my mind recently for a few different reasons. One, my mom came to visit at Christmas, and she it was the first time that she met Megan's parents. And so, it, and it, really, it was the first time that she met anyone in Megan's family other than Megan. And so it was a neat time, a neat challenge to play some games together uh, and kind of to use games as a medium to turn these strangers, these people who are meeting for the first time, into hopefully friends. And so that was one thing on my mind. I also, in December, hosted a game day where some people met each other for the first time. And so a big part of the focus of the day was uh, just making sure everyone had a good time and including, you know, a lot of people that were strangers playing games with other strangers and hoping that they might turn into friends afterward. And... Uh, it also came to mind just this past weekend, actually, or two weekends ago. We were playing disc golf, and we had 11 people on a challenging course, and so we decided to pair up. And something I noticed while we were playing, and I might bring this up later too, is that as soon as we made the pairs, and they were completely random, um, people kind of drifted into their pairs. Even though we were all hanging out, we all know each other, actually, in this group. Uh, it felt like we got to know our paired person better just because of these random pairings. And so I kind of, I'm carrying that observation over into this list. This list was also inspired by a listener who uh, asked, uh, this is Michael, a listener who asked if I could create this list. He suggested that I create a list of games that strangers can play together and have a good time. And crucially, um, that they don't, they, these strangers could be gamers that know a lot of games already. These don't necessarily have to be people who are learning the game for the first time. And so I noticed I have a lot of great answers today that I'm going to list from Stillmeyer Ambassadors. A lot of ambassadors mentioned how easy certain games are to teach. And I think this is relevant in general for games, but I don't know if it's necessarily relevant specifically to this list because um, well, it is relevant, but no more relevant than any other list where you have games that you are hoping to share with other people, games that you love. Um, because even if you're playing with strangers, they might already know how to play these games. Um, and they might also be gamers of various experiences. I did, uh, I wanted to quote Michael here a little bit uh, to give him a little bit of credit before I begin. Michael says, uh, so I asked Michael, like, in general, what type of things do you think are good for turning strangers into friends in, on the tabletop? And Michael said, the good elements here being the cooperation, requiring discussion, and you get a feel for how people think, and that people can also participate sort of the amount that they want to before warming up to the group. Uh, it also offers an opportunity to have callbacks to it throughout subsequent games during the day. Um, I guess this would be categorized as establishing a shared experience. Totally agree. Yeah, kind of this instant intimacy of having uh, a, a shared experience with other people at the table. So I really like this topic. I appreciate Michael for bringing it up. And let's jump into the list. So the first thing I'm going to do in this list, I'm going to be reading some ambassador answers, Stonemaier ambassador answers to this question, because there are a lot of great selections and answer answers. And I'll start out with the honorable mentions. Um, and I'll just go through them alphabetically. The first was Architects of the West Kingdom. This ambassador said, the virtue track and its actions that affect it lead to a lot of fun interactions about seeing how people think. I thought this was a great pick for this, uh, this uh, list because uh, I wanted to have some heavier games on this list. A lot of these skew a little bit lighter. Architects is a medium weight game, and I totally agree. The, the virtue track is a little bit of a reflection of your personality or maybe at least your personality within that game. So it's, it's a point of discussion almost 
um, as, as you're playing the game. And as Michael said, perhaps later in the day, if you're playing a, a full game day with strangers, you might call back to someone's low virtue uh, at the, uh, in, in a completely separate game. Bang the dice game. Quick, easy to teach, and you don't have to know the person to figure out how to deduce their role. Plays higher player counts and is fun. Uh, a lot of people mention that the games are simply fun on this list. I love hearing that. But I agree, the player count scaling helps when you have you know bigger or, or smaller groups of strangers. And um, I, I really like the point that you don't have to know the person to figure out how to, how to deduce their role. There's no meta here that you need to understand about someone else's personality. Uh, next, we have Blood on the Clock Tower. Oh, and I just realized that I am forgetting a game that I wanted to put on this list. So I'm going to make a note of it so I don't forget about it. There's a very specific game that I brought to the table with my mom when she was here. And I'm going to note it right now so I don't forget about it. Here we go. So Blood on the Clock Tower. Yeah, I've played this game a few times now, both online on Discord and in person. And, um, oh, no, yeah, here I am. Blood on the Clock Tower. And it's... Uh, it is a surprisingly effective game at helping you get to know other people, even though it is a large group deduction game where there is a meta, there can be a meta, but everyone's roles change every time they play. So even if you suspect some per one person because of what they did in a previous game, it is irrelevant to the current game that you're playing. So this person said, this is my favorite social deduction game. I think it plays best in large groups of strangers because when you play repeatedly with a group, you inevitably, inevitably develop a meta. It stays fresh with new people. I think one of the brilliant parts of Blood on the Clock Tower is that it really encourages you, or it, it both encourages you to split off into smaller groups and talk about things for a little bit, but it also is a game where you could just stand back and listen. You don't have to participate. Uh, I remember when we played this at the Gamers Ranch, uh, some people just kind of sat back on the couch and, and watched and listened. And they, they were there. They were participating. They did voting and things like that. But they didn't engage in many of the side discussions. And that was totally okay for them to do. But if they wanted to, it does create this shared experience that Michael talked about. Where if you do really participate, you know, how you vote, about who you are, it creates a story, a narrative for you to be a part of that's bigger than the game itself. Um, I thought this was an interesting pick. Century Gollum Edition. I can break this game out with gamers and non-gamers alike, so it's kind of uni universally appealing. Easy to learn, lots of fun to play, interaction without any take that element. I think that's interesting. Some of these games are intentionally take that games because that can create kind of uh, some, some instant intimacy, which I'll make, mention a few times during this discussion. But also having some non-take that games, some non-interactive games can be a little friendlier for strangers becoming friends as well. Um, games are always close, which makes non-gamers feel like they almost won. I like that a lot. Codenames is on the list here as well. Codenames almost made my top list, but I, I'm putting it as an honorable mention uh, just for personal preference. Codenames brings out common interests and references. Yeah, I think that's a great point about what Codenames can do when you play it with strangers. And I'm sorry I'm reading off these lists. I'm not really describing what these games are, but if I describe one that sounds like a good fit for you, uh, maybe I'll try to go into a little bit more detail. Feel free to check out more information about it. I think I have videos about almost all these games. Colt Express. This is a, uh, a simultaneous uh, uh, train robbery game. Competitive. Uh, a simple and fun way to interact where the people who have no idea what are, what's going on are a vital part of the game. I really like this description. And that is definitely the case in the chaotic element of Colt Express. You're playing cards and then you're activating them in a way that you can't really anticipate all that much. And you might even forget how you played the cards. And so the game kind of plays itself as you are revealing the cards that you've already played. And so even if you don't really know what you're doing or you're complete strangers, you are definitely creating that, uh, that again, that, that shared experience of some random stuff happening that you're all part of together. 
Decrypto is great for this. I haven't played Decrypto in a long time, but it is a, a kind of a, it's a deduction game. Uh, I believe it's team-based deduction. It doesn't require inside knowledge, like knowing what Bob means when he says the ducks are in the pond, and everyone's different points of view contribute to rather than hinder the solution. I think that's that's well said about Decrypto and how that can be do a good job at turning strangers into friends. Downforce. Um, I added Downforce to this list. I think this, this is a great pick because Downforce includes both a little bit of uh, kind of tense negative player interaction, but also positive player interaction. Because in Downforce, when you play a card, you move all of the cars that are shown on that card itself. And so it kind of gives you these uh, the sense of loyalty to other people around you um, based on nothing other than a card that they happen to play. Dungeons and Dragons. This was a late edition, thanks to my coworker Alex. He said, because anyone, can, well, this is what someone else said, because anyone can learn and be whatever and whoever they want to be. But at the same time, and this is, I think, what Alex was saying a little bit, at the same time, you can definitely learn about other people by playing a role-playing game with them. You can learn about, about who they are as a person or who they want to be, what they want to escape into as a character in, in a fantasy or science fiction world. Green Team Wins. This is what I haven't played. I need to play Green Team Wins. And the person's uh, reason for, was you learn weird stuff about people. And I think weird stuff can create that instant in intimacy that I keep talking about. Um, one person listed three games, but I liked all their reasons. Uh, they go one of three routes. One is a lighter cooperative game, like Horrified. It's very balanced between skills, which is great for team building or camaraderie. I think that's an interesting point that the asymmetric elements of Horrified, uh, which I also have not played yet, um, are balanced, and so that can lead to some camaraderie. Lighter games with multiple paths to victory, like Dice Miner. I love Dice Miner. Just enough player interaction, and you can win with all the hazard dice if that's your thing. And party games with the low stakes and no dependence on social deduction, like Sushi Go. You don't have to understand everyone's mindset to learn as you play, and you can watch cards and create some laughs as you go. Yeah, sushi Go is also adorable. Let's jump forward to King of Tokyo. Everyone knows Yahtzee, so the base mechanism is easily understood or immediately understood. The cards are all face up and the decision space is not only limited, but obvious. Go for points or for hits. Uh, this is maybe a little bit more about learning the game itself, but I thought they had some good points about the information being open. And King of Tokyo is a fun game where you kind of jump back and forth between ganging up on someone and being ganged up on by everybody else. And I think that creates an interesting... Um, take that style interactions without feeling like you're targeting anyone. And I think that's key for any game on this list, that there might be some unintentional take that, uh, but uh, direct interaction, direct take that, I don't think is great for turning strangers into friends. You might disagree, you may have had some, or made some friends that way, but I think um, indirect take that, I think works really well for this, opposed to direct take that. Libertalia. Uh, the ability to play up to six, and it's fairly easy to teach, again, the teachability, I found most people able to pick up and be competitive even in their first game. Again, it's not really about a, how easy it is for a game to be taught here, but I think in Libertalia, it does this indirect take that really, really well. Um, in Libertalia, you're playing, simultaneously playing a character card, and that character card might impact another character specifically, but it's not a character that you chose, it's just the character that your card directs you to. Um, so I think that, uh, that creates that, that fun tension between players. And then long shot the dice game. I think this is a fun one, similar to Downforce, where there's a sense of uh, like there's a race happening and you have some control over that race, but you don't have full control over it. Part of it is you watching the race and rooting for different things to happen. And I think that can be a lot of fun. There's another game on this list that I'll mention later that I haven't played that fits that as well. 
A point salad. The reason that it's light in terms of complexity, the theme is not offensive. I think that's important to point out that if you have a bunch of strangers come together, they might be from very different backgrounds and demographics and preferences. And so you might want a theme that's fairly generic, like, like uh, vegetables. Um, and has short turns, so it gives each player the ability to communicate and get to know each other. I think this is really neat to have a game on the table as a platform to uh, interact with other people, but at the same time to have it not be so thinky that you can also just kind of learn about the other people as you're playing. I think that's a great observation. Port Royale. The push-your-luck element gets everyone pumped up and leads to cheers and groans at the table and ultimately laughs. This is the first mention, I think, of push-your-luck, and I really like the addition of that. I think push-your-luck and... Uh, how it can uh, create this, these fun, memorable, memorable moments in games where everyone's maybe rooting for or against you in that moment. I think that could be great for turning strangers into friends. Here's the other game I wanted to mention about racing, Ready, Set, Bet. This is one that I haven't played yet, but uh, I, I've heard a lot about it, good things about it. It's very casual, it gets people yelling in a good way and gives you something to talk about that isn't too personal. You are all yelling at the dice and going through highs and lows together. Plus, not much to teach in quick, so you can either play again or move on to something meatier. Um, my understanding of Ready, Set, Bet is that there is a race happening. Someone is kind of controlling uh, the horses, I believe it's the horse race, and all the other players are placing bets in real time. And so while it might be a little bit chaotic for the real time element, um, I can see how you're all, you're all cheering for these different, uh, these different horses as they go around the track. Some the same, some, some different. I added role player to the list because I thought this was a... And role player is an interesting game where you, again, similar to Dungeons and Dragons, you can create kind of a reflection of your personality through the character you're building. And while it is uh, a nice medium weight game, there is a lot that you can express about yourself and learn about other people and their preferences um, as you are as you're playing the game. Also, Rolling Realms. Um, a few a few ambassadors mentioned Rolling Realms as a game that's very very easy to play with various people. It has that a little bit of push your luck element. Has a little bit of a puzzle. There's no interaction at all in Rolling Realms, and so it removes. Uh, any element of take that from the game, which can be helpful for strangers. And uh, you can also decide to just play a round of Rolling Realms if you want. Um, I think that flexibility is nice when you're playing with new people. In fact, I, th I would say that's crucially nice when you're playing with new people, because sometimes at conventions, you might sit down with some strangers to play a game, and every now and then, you might end up with people that you really don't vibe with. And that's okay, but if, you've, if you're locked into a three-hour game with people that you don't vibe with, that's a little difficult. Whereas you can play a shorter game like Rolling Realms and realize, hey, I really get along with these people. And then you can say, hey, let's play that two-hour game that you all were talking about because you already know the people. I think that can be really great at conventions. Scout. Uh, Scout, because it's so fast and easy to teach and everyone I've tried it with has been really satisfied. I don't think there's anything inherent about the game that, really, that specifically facilitates connection, but playing games together in general ideally does this. And so my go-to answer is the one I currently reach for if I'm asking a random group of people I don't know to try a game. I think this last part of this answer is the one that I really resonated with, that um, this is the reason why teachability, a game, not just teachability or learnability, but a game that you enjoy sharing with other people, if you are the one that's facilitating these strangers meeting each other, and you maybe being a stranger to them as well, you might as well be playing a game that you enjoy teaching. And so Whereas I don't think the learnability is all that important to this question. The teachability, I think, is, especially if you are the teacher of the game. Um, so even if you don't end up enjoying the people themselves, at least you enjoyed teaching the game and playing the game. It wasn't a burden on you to do that. Stella. Stella's a game I don't know really anything about. Uh, it's a simple game and allows for conversation as to why people chose what they chose. I really like this answer, uh, that, that uh, the things that you do in the game can lead to greater insights about who these people are at the table. 
Telestrations, crazy, silly fun that gets people loosened up and laughing. Um, higher player counts, very accessible, minimal rules, interactive, and just really fun. I've had great fun playing Telestrations with friends and strangers alike. I totally agree with this answer. It's a game, it's a, essentially telephone the game. It's very much a party game where you aren't really determining a winner at all. You're just drawing and then writing and drawing and writing on pads of paper or uh, whiteboard pads and passing them around the table. The Crew. The Crew is one of two games on this list that, actually one of several games on this list that scale um, as you play. Um, and The Crew, relatively easy to explain and follow. People pick it up after, after, after a few rounds, again, teachability. It's easy to scaffold players new players and for them to see the positive negative negative outcomes instantly. So the, this scaffolding element of starting with a very simple mission in the crew and then working up to more difficult missions. Um, I think this can really build a sense of camaraderie that you were in something together, that you were in this difficult situation and that you got better and better as a group as you learned each other's preferences. And this ties actually to the next game, the mind. The mind is something very similar. It's cooperative and you're very much learning each other's pacing as you're trying to play cards in sequential order. Um, and so I think that that is that creates this, this, again, instant intimacy with other people at the table where you are learning their style of play in real time as you're playing with them. And you have this sense of we are getting better at this together as we play. That can create a really powerful emotional connection to other people in a very short amount of time. Uh, the person's explanation for the mind was, um, uh, yeah, oh no, I, yeah, I've covered it here. Time's Up. This is one of the other ones that I haven't played. I, I think this is one that I probably should have played by now, but for some reason, I haven't played the party game Time's Up. Everyone is laughing, and the game is generally not too competitive. So that's interesting that, that a lot of these games that I mentioned are competitive on this list, but um, but it's okay to have a competitive game that doesn't feel overly competitive when you're trying to turn strangers into friends. And last, Wavelength. Uh, low rules overhead, and it's just about talking things through. And this, I, I totally agree with Wavelength. This is a game where you're trying to get people to guess where, basically where to adjust a dial based on two extremes, like things that are really hot, things that are cold. I give a clue that says uh, coffee. Say uh, the clue is coffee. People might have a big discussion about, am I talking about hot coffee? Am I talking about cold brew coffee? Am I talking about or uh, you know, iced coffee? Um, and, and as you're talking about these things, you are revealing the way that you see the world, the way that you view coffee, which I think is really interesting. Anyway, those are the honorable, honorable mentions. As you can tell, there are lots of great picks for this list. I will also now go through um, my favorite picks that ambassadors mentioned and a few that I added to the list. And I actually have visuals for some of these. The first is Between Two Castles and Between Two Cities. Th these two games have a really, really interesting mechanism, and they are Stonemaier games, where... Um, you are partnering in a competitive game where there's only one, one winner. You are partnering with a player on your right and the player on your left. And in between two cities, you're building a city with each of those players. Between two castles, you're building a castle with each of those players. And it creates this really strong connection to those two people, this partnership element with these two people where you feel like you are built, or not only feel like you are literally building something with each of those players um, uh, throughout the game. It's also, uh, go back, going back to the, to the teaching, not everyone at the table needs to play. So if there are players of different experience levels in, in terms of these games, you as long as you stagger people around the table so that some people know how to play and others don't know how to play, that can really help facilitate how people learn the game. Uh, Carcassonne. Here's the ambassador description for that. It's easy to teach. Everyone is building the same map. I think that's really interesting. Kind of the opposite of Between Two Cities. Or, although maybe a little similar since you're building something together. But in Carcassonne, you're all building the same map together, but competitively. Um, 
interactive, interactive, but the option to play on your own. That's true. You, you can compete for certain spaces on Carcassonne, or you can just build off the side of the map that no one else is looking at. Uh, and you can get sneaky, but success is not guaranteed. I think that is a great pick for a game like this. And Carcassonne is one of several games on this list that I think have reached a critical mass where a lot of people know how to play Carcassonne or have played at some point or have heard of it. And so that can easily bring people together. I've seen that happen with Seven Wonders too, which wasn't on this list, but Seven Wonders is one of those games that it feels like everyone knows. You, that is not actually true, but it feels like that sometimes at gaming events. And that can be nice that you can sit down and not have to go through a teach, not have to go through that learning curve of a game because everyone already knows the game. Um, Crokinole, Crokinole, yeah. Instant bonding via partnerships, any skill level is fine. Yeah, again, this, this idea that I mentioned through disc golf earlier, this idea of uh, having a partner in a game can create a bond with that partner very quickly. And that happens in between two cities, between two castles. I believe it also happens in Crokinole, where you are partnering with someone across the table that you may not know at all, but uh, but you suddenly feel like you are on a team together with them and that you are rooting for them. Um, you share the highs and lows with them. And also Crokinole is just kind of silly fun when you flick the token and it's a dexterity game. You flick these, these tokens on the board and when you, when you have a great hit, it's a great moment for the table. When you have a, a dumb miss, when you hit the peg directly in front of you, it's kind of a silly moment that you can remember and talk about later as well. Deep Sea Adventure. It's one of my favorite push-your-luck games. This falls into the push-your-luck category, which I think works really well for turning strangers into friends, especially if you are all cheering at certain moments for or against players at the table. Uh, the, play, the ambassador here says because it fosters some level of banter and strategy among the players. One person, actually, a few people pick Dixit, but I would actually pick Mysterium Park for the same reasons that they picked Dixit. I just really love Mysterium Park. About Dixit, they said, because it calls to the creative side of each person and triggers a lot of interesting discussions at the table, and it's an easy, fun game that anyone can understand, and it can be very interesting to see how people approach the meaning of the cards. I think that in particular is huge about Mysterium Park. This is a game where it's a fully cooperative game where one player is a ghost and that player is giving clues to the other players in the form of images, and those players are um, learning about or are trying to guess like uh, where a, 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 I think a murder, I think it's always a murder, where a murder happened and, and who did it um, based on those clues that they were given. And there, it fosters a lot of discussion, but you still have full agency over, over what you actually choose for your, um, for your selection each round. And uh, yeah, it can, just, it can lead to a lot of insights about what you see in this image that's different than what other players see. That's Mysterium Park. Another, uh, so if someone picked Forbidden Island here, I'm going to say Forbidden Desert. This is one of my favorite uh, kind of against the game, slightly abstract, but still thematic uh, cooperative games in the pandemic style of, of game and also designed by pandemic designer Matt Leacock. In Forbidden Desert, you are, you each have an asymmetric role in this cooperative game and you're shifting around the, the sand tokens on the map Um or kind of you're you're digging through them as you go. The the sands are 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 shifting and accumulating on different places on the map, and it's just one of these games where you really feel like you're all in this puzzle with other players, and you can participate in the discussion if you want to, but you can also uh, step back a little bit. Actually, and as I'm talking about this, it reminds me a little bit of a recent game I played called uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name now. So, uh, the Roses, Trim the Roses. What's the name of this game? <laughs> I, I literally just played this recently. I'll look it on my channel and find out. It is plant the roses, pluck the ro paint the roses. You're painting them. Of course, you're painting them. 
<laughs> it's Paint the Roses. Paint the Roses has a very similar element where when you're trying to do something in the game or solve something in the game, similar to Forbidden Desert, the game that I'm actually talking about right now, um, you can participate as much as you want or you can kind of step back if you aren't ready to engage with these strangers that you're playing with. Um, and, but when it's your turn, you have the decisions to make. You get to make the decisions and, and that's uh, you get to be a part of that puzzle yourself. Fun Facts. Okay, Fun Facts is a game that a friend is borrowing right now, but I own Fun Facts. This is the game that I brought to the table first when my mom was here for Christmas. Fun Facts is a game where you are cooperatively trying to order some clues, to some, some numbers that each player has written down on little whiteboard tiles that correspond to a question. The question might be, in fact, one of the questions we had a big discussion about is, how long do you take to shower every day? Uh, how long is your average shower? And so we each wrote down our answers and then um, we flipped over the tiles and everyone had to try to, or, or together we tried to order these tiles in an order from least to greatest time based on what we were learning about each other at the time. And so we're kind of talking through it as we go a little bit. You can't communicate too much and then you reveal. And the reveal I think is the key part where you're really learning about the other people at the table because you reveal um, that, that someone takes... 30-minute showers, and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> tell me about that. What is that like? Uh, and, and someone else might take three-minute showers, and you're like, oh, wow, that, that, I, I'm, I've learned something about you there, too. It's, it, the questions are really, really cleverly written in Fun Facts, and I think it it really facilitates that idea of, um, of learning things about other people as you are playing the game. And yet it is still a game. Um, just One. So Just One got a bunch of picks. I love Just One. I actually have, there are three games. This one, Fun Facts, and So Clover will come up in a minute. Just one. It's easy to teach and lets folks show their own way of thinking and their own sense of humor. Plus, having different perspectives makes the game more satisfying since fewer clues get erased. So this is a game where you're trying to give a one-word clue to another player that's trying to guess um, what, a, what a hidden clue is, a hidden word is. Uh, several other people had responses about this, too. It's a fun part of game that's easy to teach, brings cooperative... Uh, helps everyone feel involved and inclusive. Totally, yeah. Even with very low um, extroverted style and energy or interaction, you're still always writing down a word and maybe explaining why you wrote down that word. The rules are simple. You need to guesstimate which hint someone might or may not get. So you're even though you were thinking about the clue that you're giving to help someone else guess that clue, you were also actively thinking about what other people might write down. And you don't know those other people yet in this stranger style situation, but you're learning as you go and you're still trying to put yourself in their shoes a little bit. I think stepping out of your own shoes for a little for a little bit can can help you get to know other people better faster. Um, I feel like this game subtly subtly uh, subtly provides a lot of connection. Connection games or through games is interesting to explore. Uh, they also recommend that same person rec recommended a game called Figment that I'm not familiar with. Okay, one of my contributions to this list is a little bit out there, but I put Magic Magic Drafts, Magic the Gathering Drafts. The reason I put this is that this is the way that I play Magic now. Every now and then a new set will come out and I will invite people over to play a draft. And I found that a lot of random people know how to play Magic or played when they were younger and haven't played for years. And so many times I've introduced new people to each other through a magic draft where everyone knows how to play or kind of knows how to play. And we do this draft together and there's a lot of table talk during the draft. And then you pair up and you pair up and play one game against each other person at the draft. I know that isn't standard draft format, but that's how I do my drafts. But again, this pairing up of people um, creates this really neat vibe where people are getting to know each other's uh, style of play, their personalities and their decks. So you're learning 
about who a person is based on which colors they chose and which uh, what this deck that they built throughout the game. And then you switch to a new pair and you're playing someone else. And so you might sometimes be playing friends, but you also might be playing strangers and getting to know them. I think it just works really well at having people get to know each other in a very quick, short amount of time. Um, no thanks. No thanks. So this person also mentioned Bonanza, but no thanks, I think, is my pick for this. Uh, they said... Hey, Again, easy to teach and play and promotes discussions at the table. No thanks is a, a very easy kind of, it's the opposite of an auction game essentially where you're trying to stay out of taking a card. You're trying to avoid taking a card. But uh, yeah, it just, it works really well for, for any types of people. But I, I, I found in particular, it plays well with people who haven't played games with each other for a while or are complete strangers. A few more picks here. I know there's a little bit of a longer video. Skull King. So here are a few picks in a row. Two with Skull in the name. One is Skull King. This is another one of the games on this list that, that escalates, that ramps up. It starts out with a one-hand card, and then it gets two and three. There's some fun interactions in the game. Um, that uh, it, I know that's a very vague thing to say, fun interactions, but where maybe I play a card thinking I'm going to win the trick, but then you come through and win the trick. Or there, you know, there are moments in this game where you go big for something and then barely miss it. I think those types of memorable moments in games can build that style of, that sense of intimacy when you're playing. Uh, the other game that I put on this list is simply Skull. I think also sometimes called Skull and Roses. Um, Skull is a, a bluffing game of sorts where you have these little coasters and you are, are uh, trying, to, trying to reveal a certain number of coasters and outplay the other players in terms of how many coasters that you, you can actually reveal. And if someone reveals a skull instead of a flower, uh, that player loses one of their, their coasters. And it's just one of these games where it, it it it's another one of these indirect take that games. I think that works really really well for this this uh, this turning strangers into friends. So Clover is the other game in this series from Repost Productions that I think really works well at turning strangers into friends. This is one that we had at the table for a big game day that we had in December where people were getting to know each other. It's a cooperative game where you're writing down clues. Um, to help people guess these little cards that, that they need to reorient on your clover. So you're writing down clues that match right here. You're writing down this clue that matches these two words. Um, and so you're expressing yourself a little bit. You have this feeling of cleverness as you are participating in the puzzle. And then when you're trying to deduce what other people have written down and guess what other people have written down and where their card ne cards need to align, that can uh, really form these very quick and easy bonds with, with strangers. I have a few medium weight games to end in the list. One is Space Base. Uh, it's, and the person notes here that it's interactive even on other players' turns, which I think works really well for strangers. That, that you have your own thing going on, but there's a reason to pay attention to what other players are doing. Even though you aren't hurting those other players, there's something that, you, something that you're involved with. There's not as much downtime. Although, as we talked about earlier, downtime in these games cannot actually be an asset as well, because downtime is a time to actually get to know each other on a different level in the game. Um, Space Day is also easy to help other players as needed because all the information is open. I think that's a really key element of a few of these games, that they have completely open information. And so it's if you are playing with people of diff different uh, experience levels, it's really easy to help them out as you're playing. And helping someone else can, can help form a bond with them. And last, a few people picked Wingspan. And I have to agree, I think Wingspan is great for turning strangers into friends for a few different reasons. One is this 
critical mass element. There are a lot of copies of Wingspan out there. A lot of people have heard of the game or have played the game. And so it's one of the games on this list that maybe everyone has already played. All these strangers have already played. And so you get to take these independent experiences that people have and come together and share them together. I think that can work really, really well. Um, someone says, I genuinely enjoy people figuring out how their bird cards and engines come together and see it click by the end of the third round. Usually everyone wants to run it back and play again. Uh, we can all share the fun facts on the bird cards. I think that's cool and get to know each other, get to know how each other person thinks. So Wingspan kind of offers these intrinsic motivations in games. Are you motivated by the fun, by the, by the bird facts? Are you motivated by what the birds look like? Or what are you motivated by? You can display that in the way that you choose to play Wingspan. And last, the theme and engine aspect, engine building aspect can relate to most groups of people in general, and it's easy to keep them engaged in the game. And those are great reasons that Wingspan is a great game, great medium weight game to, uh, to turn strangers into friends. This is a, a wide open category. There are many different approaches that you can take with this, but I'd love for you to think about the, the last time that you introduced a game to a stranger or you were hosting multiple people that didn't know each other and you wanted them to get to know each other. What game did you choose that you thought might facilitate the idea of turning those strangers into friends through the sense of connection that they formed over that game? Let me know the game that you chose and why. I'd love to hear about your thoughts in the comments. Thanks.